0: Good morning, how are we? Good All right, I'm Pastor Jake, the lead pastor here at Great Oaks. So excited to unpack and study with you and for you the word of God this morning. As Pastor Chris said, we're launching our second location, our other location um, in Washington in just two weeks, but the team is there, about 150 already there in Washington doing kind of a practice service or a soft launch today and next week. And so I just want to say welcome to all of you, uh, whether that is at our Washington, Germantown, or online campuses. Welcome. We are in a series called Family Matters that I have just loved to preach. We're in week four of that series today, and I want to talk to you about something that is very, very important. In fact... It may be the number one thing that you need to hear, whether you realize that or not. I know for a fact that in our culture, it's probably our number one issue, which makes it also our number one area of growth or opportunity for growth and for change. We as a culture are addicted to something. We are going, 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 going all the time. Got to go, got to get there, got to get our kids from A to B. We have to be there at 5 a.m. We have to get up earlier to get ready. When can we get together as a family? I have no idea. Maybe six months from now, we are addicted in our culture to busyness. And it's exhausting, distracting. And from my view, <laughs> obnoxious, is it not? How, how often are you laying your head down at, on your pillow at night, just overwhelmed with exhaustion because of all you've been doing that day from sunup to midnight? But you can't sleep. Why? because you're thinking about all that you have to do tomorrow. You're thinking about how you only have six hours to sleep. Now five and a half. Now five. You're paralyzed by the fact that today's finish line has just begun tomorrow's starting line. You're, you're going to hit repeat with no break in between, and you're going to do it again and again and again and again and again until you're going to complain about how busy you've chosen to be in your life until you come to your wit's end, you're burned out, stressed out, and you can't go any further, and you're forced to take a break. But that break doesn't last long. Why? Because in your tiny moment of exhale, you say, it's just a season. I just need to work harder. I can get through this. I just need to get up earlier. Uh, Next week will be a little easier. I just need to reorganize. I need to streamline. I need to work harder, plan better. It's okay. I can get through this. I'll rest in the weekend. My it'll get a lot easier when my kids are older and you jump right back into the busyness that was crushing you just a moment before. Are there seasons? Absolutely. Babies, a move, a new job, sickness, parenting kids in your home versus parenting grown kids out of your home, there are seasons. But they don't affect this because the one common thread running throughout all of the seasons of our life in our culture is that we are running, 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 and never stopping. The seasons don't really affect this. I I know that because retired people say the same thing that young adults say. And young adults say the same thing that parents of young children say and middle-aged adults say. When you ask them how they're doing, hey, how's it going? All of them, to a man, says, busy. How's it going? It's going really good. It's just that I'm just so busy with fill in the blank. Kids, soccer, the kitchen remodel, volunteering, grandkids, work, sick parents, you fill in the blank. Or my favorite, vacation. Just so busy because we're going to go on vacation next week. Just so busy because we just got back from vacation this week. Or you ask them how their vacation went. Hey, how was your vacation? And they say something like, it was good. It was just busy. You're doing vacation wrong. (laughs) Right? So so there are absolutely seasons. But despite the season of life, every one of them, their, their calendar is full. And their stress levels are the same. That's because this isn't about season of life. This is about pace of life. And in our culture, our pace of life is just absolutely exhausting. More than exhausting. It's damaging. Soul crushing. Family destroying. And maybe even damning. This series family matters has, has been a good one but the idea of this series is just that family is really really important right it should be prioritized if you're a Christ follower outside of your your relationship with Jesus Christ your family should be your number one priority right so it's important it matters family matters but it's also difficult it doesn't just happen on its own it's difficult to end your life or look up at the end of your life and, and see a family that is healthy Honoring God, following Jesus, that is, the, that is not the norm. That's the rarity. And so it's difficult to do that. And so we've talked about in this Family Matters series, we're talking about five different family matters. We've talked about three so far, faith, honor, and commitment. Today, today I want to talk to you about time. And let me just plead with you right out, right out of the gate here. If, if you don't want your family to end up falling apart like most families in our culture fall apart. If you don't want that to happen, if you look at family and it's important to you and you you realize that it's difficult and you're going to have to have some intentionality and some prioritizing and it's going to take hard work, if that's you this morning, then don't, don't tune me out. Don't ignore what I'm going to say. Because we have five family matters in this series, but this one, this is the one that affects all of the others. This is the one that affects all of the others. And I, I'm not trying to beat you up this morning. I'm just trying to get you to see that busyness is an epidemic in our culture. I'm trying to get you to see that if you don't make a change, if you don't make a drastic change in the pace of your life and how much you're involved in and how much your family is involved in, if you don't make a change, then you may at the end of your life be able to point back to a lot of activities. You may be able to point back to a lot of Facebook posts about season starting and championship games and plays and concerts. You may be able to point back to a retirement party that where you were lavished with accolades and respect for the company you gave your life to. You may even be able to point back to a lot of family trips, jam-packed full of a thousand experiences. But my fear is that your family itself will be in shambles, disconnected, disheartened, and worse, not following the Lord. And so seasons have to do with this, but this is about pace of life rather than, than season. Of life. So here's the here's the problem that I want to submit to you for your consideration today. Busy is the enemy of family. Busy is the enemy of family because busy steals my time. Busy robs my family of me. And I think I think if you would just take a moment and just think about this, I think you would agree. If you just looked at your life for a moment, you you would probably agree. But oftentimes, we're too busy to consider how busy we are, right? And if we do consider it, if we do, if we are forced to take a moment and think about this, then then oftentimes what happens is we feel a heavy sense of conviction from the Holy Spirit. And for many of us, conviction is a no-thank-you situation. We feel conviction and we run from it. We don't want conviction. We want to feel like everything's fine. Conviction is hard. Conviction is difficult. Conviction means I need to change, and that's difficult. Conviction means I need to admit that I'm wrong, and I may need to admit that I've been wrong for years, maybe decades. That's difficult. Conviction means hard conversations with spouses and kids and other family members, maybe even coaches and teachers and bosses. Conviction is difficult. So many of us, if we ever do consider this, we feel that conviction, so no, we say, no, thank you. And then we leave from this place, leave from the place of conviction, and we, we just find a pithy little meme to share on Facebook that tells us the opposite, Right? Because they're out there. A false prophet to whisper in our ears. No, you're fine. God, God knows your heart. You're, you're fine. You don't have to worry about this. And then we move on. If there's a verse... In the Bible that kind of encapsulates where we are as a culture in this, I think it's in Jeremiah chapter 2. If you have your Bible, you can head over to Jeremiah chapter 2, Ecclesiastes 1 and Matthew 11. That's where we'll get to today. But in Jeremiah chapter 2, what's happening is that God um, is correcting the Israelites. He's telling them about their sin. He's telling them that they are wrong. And it's no fun when God tells you you're wrong, right? Right? Uh, it, it's hard when God tells you you're wrong. It means you have to repent. It means you have to change, and that's, that's very, very difficult. And so that's what's happening in Jeremiah before the verse we're going to read and all throughout Jeremiah, really. It's difficult when God tells you you're wrong, but we also know from the Scripture that God holds his discipline for those that he loves. He only gives his discipline to those that he loves. So he loves the Israelites enough to, to discipline them, to correct them. He loves us enough to discipline us and correct us, and so this is Jeremiah 2, verse 25. It says this, keep your feet from going unshod, and your throat from thirst, but you said it is hopeless, for I have loved foreigners, and after them I will go. Okay, so unshodding your feet may make this a little hard to understand, right? You're like, what did it just say? So let me give you um, the way Eugene Peterson paraphrases this passage, in the message paraphrase. I like what he does here. I think he gets to the heart of what God is saying. So look at the message paraphrase on the screen. It says, slow down, take a breath. What's the hurry? Why wear yourself out? Just what are you after anyways? But you say, I can't help it. I'm addicted to alien gods. I can't quit. So we're running from activity to activity to activity, thing to thing to thing, promotion to promotion to promotion. And I think God's going, what are you after? What's the hurry? What are you doing? We're addicted to stuff, to a full calendar, to activity, God forbid we sit still for a moment, right? We're so insecure about our, how insignificant we'll feel if we don't have a full calendar that we just go, 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 go all the time. We've bought into this idea that this lie, that activity is all that matters. But listen, activity is not the same as progress. Now, let me say that differently. Moving is not the same as moving forward. Listen, if you want to get your heart rate up, you can get on a treadmill and run. But if you want to actually get somewhere from where you're standing to somewhere else, a treadmill isn't going to help you, right? Moving is not the same as moving forward. So look at um, Ecclesiastes with me. Let's try to see what God says, God's word says about this. I'm basically going to answer Three questions today. First of all, is this a, a real thing, or is Pastor Jake just making it up? okay? so that's that's one. Number two, it, is it a big deal, or is Pastor Jake just overselling selling it? okay? So that's number two. And number three is, if those two things are true, if, if it is a thing and it is a big deal, then how do we fix it? How do we fix it? Okay? So Ecclesiastes is a great book of the Bible. How many of you read Ecclesiastes? Um, This morning, on your way to church, just to get ready for today's message. At the Washington campus, raise your hand if you're, yeah. Probably nobody, that's okay. This week, maybe you can read Ecclesiastes. It's 12 chapters. It's a great, great book of the Bible. Basically, in Ecclesiastes, we have Solomon, who who is at the time the wisest man to ever live, son to King David. Um, He's writing the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes, and he's doing basically this massive experiment where he's running after all these different things to figure out, is there meaning to be found in this life? Is there satisfaction? Is there fulfillment to be found in this life? The phrase he uses is under the sun. He means on the earth. Is there, any, is there meaning to be found? And so he goes from thing to thing to thing, searching for meaning. And uh, let me read verse Two, as it kind of starts off in Ecclesiastes in chapter one, he says this Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. The NIV has that this way meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Wow thanks preacher it's like are you all right Solomon (laughs) like you need a hug or something (laughs) you need some chocolate I mean what's going on you having a bad day what's going on with Solomon meaningless everything What, what do you mean by that well let's look at the next few verses it's sure to cheer you up this morning Verse 3 What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind. On its circuits, the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new. It's already been done. It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of formal, former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. Good grief, Solomon. What is going on? I mean, it seems like Solomon has a serious case of the Eeyore's, doesn't he? I mean, it's like it's meaningless. The wind blows from the south and goes back to the north. Streams flow into the sea, but the sea is not full. What, has, what is, has been, you can never do anything new, meaningless. There's no cake, there's no ice cream, happy birthday. Right? It's like, Solomon, what's... What's going on? Like, is he depressed? I mean, what is, it seems extreme. He goes, you're busy toiling, going from thing to thing to thing, activity to activity to activity, building and amassing as if it matters. He goes, it's nothing. It's all meaningless. Your activity, your busyness, what you give your life to, it is meaningless, Solomon says. But Solomon is the the wisest man to ever live at this point. And this is the Bible. So we can't just chalk it up to like a bad day, right? Like Solomon's just having a bad day and he wrote it down. Like that's not, that we can't do that. We have to actually understand what it is he's saying, right? But it doesn't get any better. Like this is, what we just read, that's just the intro. For 12 chapters, it doesn't get any better. Solomon goes, let me prove this to you. And so he starts with knowledge. He pursues knowledge to see if there is meaning found in knowledge. And after doing that, he says this in verse 14 of chapter 1. I've seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity. When you see vanity in the ESV, it's meaningless in the NIV. means the same thing. Meaningless and a striving after the wind. So No. Knowledge doesn't do it. There's no meaning in knowledge. He goes, maybe it's self-indulgence. Maybe it's, maybe it's pleasure. Solomon was the richest person you've ever heard of. He had everything he could ever want or could get everything he could ever want. And so he ran after anything that his eyes desired, any pleasure, he got it. And then this in verse 11 of chapter 2. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity, meaningless, and a striving after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Nope. Pleasure ain't it. Then he goes, what about living wisely? I bet that's where meaning is found. Like prudence and, and like cautious living. Instead of pleasure, let's do cautious living. Maybe that's where meaning is and satisfaction is. And so he, he runs after that. And then in 17, verse 17, he says, so I hated life because what's done under the sun was grievous to me for all is vanity and striving after the wind. And another part, he says basically that foolish people and wise people have the same things happen to them. So what's the point, he says? Then so no not not living wisely that doesn't that doesn't that's not where meaning is found so Solomon turns then to labor to work to toil where many of you have turned for meaning he goes is there meaning or satisfaction or fulfillment found in working really hard for something and seeing it happen seeing it come to fruition is there meaning in that and he says this in chapter 2 verse 22 after running after that He says, What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity, meaningless. Spending your life on work is meaningless then chapter 5 and 6 kind of go in a different direction, but eventually he turns to wealth and honor. He says, no, it's not work. Maybe it's wealth and honor. He was the wealthiest, most honored person in the world at the time, so he gets as much wealth and honor as you can get. And he comes to this conclusion in verse 7 of chapter 6. All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. Now look at verse 11 the more words, the more vanity. And what is the advantage to man? For who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow here today, gone tomorrow. For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? So Solomon does all of this activity he, he goes after all these different things, knowledge, work, pleasure, money, status, honor, and he gets it all, but he finds that none of it has any meaning. There's no satisfaction in it. It's like trying to catch the wind, he says, over and over and over. He finds that he's moving, but he's not, he's not moving towards anything that brings satisfaction. He, he finds this, that movement and meaning are not the same thing. That movement and meaning are not the same thing. It's depressing, isn't it? I mean, you came to church, you're like a real pick-me-up today. Came to the wrong church, I'm kidding, I may do that one day. It's depressing. We're striving, striving, but a lot of times this is us, right? This is us. We are striving, 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 going after everything we can possibly go after. And it's exhausting. It's exhausting that this is is us. We go after all this stuff, but we can't even be at the stuff we schedule on our calendar. Why? Because our mind's already at the other stuff that we're going to do later in the day or tomorrow. We can't even be fully there at our stuff. We're on this never ending journey to catch the wind. It's devastating. Devastating to our souls, devastating to our families. Movement without meaning. Moving, but not moving forward. Earlier, I showed you a verse in Jeremiah 2 in the, in the message. It says this, I'll read it to you again. God just says, slow down, take a, take a deep breath. What's, what's the hurry? Why wear yourself out? Just what are you after anyway? But you say, I can't help it. I'm addicted to alien gods. I just can't quit. I think we are addicted to activity. And then Solomon said over and over and over that movement and meaning are not the same thing. And So, so this isn't something I'm making up. It's in the scriptures. But, but why is this such a big deal? I mean, am I overselling this? Is Solomon overselling this? I mean, why is this such a big deal? Well, before we see Jeremiah 2.25 that we just read, we see Jeremiah 2.13, and God says this to the people of Israel. He says, for my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. God's saying, I am the source of your refreshment. I am the source of your satisfaction. I am the source of your fulfillment, and any meaning you're going to find is going to be found in me. And he goes, not only have you forsaken me and left me, but you've begun to look for refreshment, satisfaction, fulfillment, joy, life, and other things in false gods that you are creating. You're digging out for yourself other sources of refreshment and satisfaction and meaning. So they just kept moving. The Israelites just kept moving, just kept going and going and going. And they just kept digging cistern after cistern after cistern, false God after false God after false God. And and listen, I get when I say false God, you're like, that's not me, right? Because you don't bow to any statues. At least I don't think you do. You You may not bow to statues, but in our busyness, in our addiction to stuff, it is so easy to seek after satisfaction, fulfillment, and meaning in things that we are creating rather in God. And that's the same thing. Worshiping false god, gods. What I'm saying is that this is a big deal because as you in your life with your family, as you in your life go from thing to thing to thing to thing, your soul gets thirsty. And because you're too busy for God, you don't have time to run back to Him, you don't have time for Him in your life, your soul is thirsty, so you just begin to dig wherever you're at to find water. And you dig, and you dig, and you dig, and you find some water, and you think this must be good water, and you drink it, and it may bring a momentary satisfaction, it may bring some momentary refreshment or happiness, but the water you're digging up from the ground is actually poison. It's not what your soul longs for, it's actually poison. It's going to poison you and kill you, and listen, The travesty is that you're not alone in this process. Your family is with you. And so the poison water you're digging for and bringing out of the ground in the desert, you're handing to your spouse. And she's drinking it or he's drinking it. And your kids are gathering around to learn how to dig for poison water in the desert. That's the travesty. And God's going, you left me and you tried to find your source somewhere else and it's going to kill you. It's going to kill you. And listen, I get that there's, a, there's not a lot of us saying this. I get that there's not a lot of my brothers in arms, other pastors Going here, where we're going today, in today's message, I, I get that when you leave this place, you, pretty much anybody who's not in this room, maybe many who are in this room, but anybody who's not in this room that you tell about this message and what Pastor Jake was talking about today, they will say, nah, it's okay, you're okay. No, it's fine. God, God knows your heart. You're Okay. I get that you can basically toss a stone in any direction in our culture and it'll hit somebody who will be very accommodating to your busy lifestyle. I understand that you're not hearing this from a lot of places, but that was happening in Jeremiah too. Jeremiah, or oh, Jeremiah also, Jeremiah. Jeremiah was was, was telling them what God was telling him to say. He, He was saying, judgment is coming. You're running from false God to false God to false God. And every time Jeremiah, in the book of Jeremiah, would say the truth, say what God wanted him to say, like a bunch of other prophets would pop up and go, no, don't listen to him. No, 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 no. He's just having a bad day. Don't listen to him. You're fine. We're the Israelites. God loves us. He's not going to judge us. He's a loving God. God knows your heart. These false prophets that were, these were people who were supposed to be speaking for God. I mean, they didn't wear a shirt that says false prophet. They were just prophets. They were supposed to be leading the people towards God. You You can check that out for yourself in the book of Jeremiah, chapters 14, 23, and 28. But in the end, these prophets die And the people who follow them die because they're drinking poison water. So I understand that the messages you hear out there are much more accommodating. I get that. I get that they're easier to hear than the ones that are put forth in this place. But you have to know that I have no I have no reason to talk to you about this except that I love you. I mean, what could my motive possibly be? Like I could do light, easy to hear, shallow sermons, maybe. Like we could do that here. We could go shallow and wide and get some people in who don't really know Jesus and never will because we're so shallow and wide. We could do that. I could do that probably, maybe. I could do that. What possible motive would I have to tell you something that's hard for you to hear than that I love you and that I care for you and your family? So I get that you're not hearing this other places, but you have to know that the only reason I'm saying it is because I love you. But even I'm hoping for a turn towards the positive in this message. So let's talk about What we do now. Busy is the enemy of family. This is a thing. Movement is not the same as meaning. And it's a big deal because you're drinking poison water as you go from thing to thing to thing. Your family is dying. So what do we do? Well, after, after Solomon does this massive experiment... He goes through all these avenues to find meaning and satisfaction and joy, and he he declares it all meaningless. After this huge experiment by the wisest man in the world, he he says this at the very end of Ecclesiastes, verse 13 of chapter 12. He says, The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of God. Of man Everybody at all of our campuses say, "The whole duty of man." Duty of man. This is the whole duty of man. You, you want to know what you're supposed to do as a parent? Fear God and keep His commandments. You want to know what you're supposed to do as a son or a daughter? Fear God and keep his commandments. As a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, fear God and keep his commandments. As a coworker, a friend, a neighbor, fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. In other words, God is the only source... Of fulfillment, satisfaction, joy, and meaning. There is nothing else. Fear God and keep his commandments. There is nothing else. Everything else is just a mirage. It's a shadow. It's a trick. It's meaningless. This reminds me of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. He said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden and i'll give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for i am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light if you're if you're burning out if you're if you're exhausted, if you're stressed, if you're, if you're being pulled in too many directions all the time, if you're running from thing to thing to thing and then hitting repeat every morning, even if you're not feeling it daily, but if, if a few times a year you're feeling overwhelmed to the point of like forcing a break or tears or complaining or a breakdown, if this is you, then you're carrying stuff that God has not designed you to carry. But I have to do this or I'll lose all my friends. I can't possibly keep my kids from doing five sports and two band things and three Plays and all that, that stuff's so good for them, and they'll flip out if I ever say no to them. I can't possibly do that. I have to help. I have to say yes to the PTA. They need me. I have to say yes to the teachers. They need me. I have to say yes to the promotion or the travel because I need to move up. I have to say yes to all of this or I'll miss out on something. I have to say yes. The cabin, the boat, the, the extra hobby, it's just such a great opportunity. I have to say yes to this. I have to carry this. I have to carry this. My kids have to carry it. My family has to carry it. It's just the way it is. Jesus says, come here. Come here. Let go of all that stuff. I didn't design you to run. I didn't create you to run like you're running. Let go of it. Find rest in me. My burden is light. My yoke is easy. Jesus goes, come here. Let go of all that. It's poison water anyway. He goes, I'm the fountain of living water. I'm where your soul longs to be. Just let go of that stuff and come here. The answer is do everything you can to bring your family to Jesus as often as you can because he is where satisfaction, meaning, joy, fulfillment is found. Nowhere else. So let me just end with one last thought. What? what are you too busy for? Are you too busy to to serve and worship Jesus with your family together weekly, daily, monthly? what are you too busy for? Too busy for family meals together at night? Too busy for a family walk? Are you too busy to spend more than a couple minutes before meals and at nighttime in prayer every day? Are you too busy to, to get into the Word and study it with your family on a nightly basis, a daily basis? What, what are you too busy for? Too busy to, to serve in a meaningful way at the church, at your church? Too busy to play games as a family? What are you too busy for? Too busy to take each of your kids out for a meal or your grandkids grown in your house, whatever, out for a meal once a month to talk about life and faith? Jesus, well, what are you too busy for? Too busy for unscheduled, unhurried time with your family on a regular basis where you're not having to go from thing to thing, you're just hanging out, talking? What are you too busy for? Too busy for life group? What are you too busy for? Listen, what if you, what if you flip the script? What if all of a sudden you were too busy doing the things that mattered? What if you were too busy being still before the Lord? What if you were too busy praying and reading the word together as a family? What if you were too busy serving as a family in your church for the glory of God together? What if you were too busy Reaching out to those in the greatest need, too busy serving the, the poor on a regular basis with your family, like weekly going somewhere and serving the poor. What if you were too busy doing all of that, the stuff that Solomon came down to in Ecclesiastes? What if you were too busy doing that? But you could, you didn't have time for activity, Movement for movement's sake. And everything else, our society and the world is screaming at you to do, to fill your life with. Beloved, busy is the enemy of family. Not everything your family could do is what you should do. So slow down and choose wisely. You are the only one filling your calendar. At all of our campuses, Germantown, Washington, online, let's pray together. God, thank you for your word that is so true. You speak to us. You're so good to speak to us. Even when it's convicting, even when it's correction, God, we welcome it. We ask for it. Let us be a people who welcome your correction. God, let your conviction sink into our hearts and let us hang out there for a little bit. I pray, God, for for real change to happen in our lives, our schedules, our families. God, that we would find our satisfaction in you and you alone. King Solomon already did the experiment. We don't need to look for meaning in anything but you. Let that sink in. God, I pray for real change in our our lives like, like conversations this afternoon and phone calls this week and difficult decisions. So much so that those around us involved in so much activity, Christian or non-Christian, that they would notice, that they would go, hey, I saw that you you changed this, that you moved in this other direction, that you stopped doing this thing. Why'd you do that? And God, that we would be able to answer because, because we, we want Jesus to be the center of our family, that we, we would be able to say, hey, we, we're just trying to put God at the center and this is the way we're doing that. So I pray, God, that real change would happen this week coming weeks. And I ask for the person in this room, two, two kinds of people, for the, for the people in this room who are followers of you, they, they, at least they want to be, they, they think they are, they, they come to church, they, they try to do what you want them to do, they, they seek a relationship with you. For those in this room that are, that are in that category, but but there's so, there's pride They're running from conviction, finding false prophets to whisper in their ears that everything's okay. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that your conviction, that your word would overcome that in this moment. That they would be a, feel a flood of your love, like a father telling a kid not to run out in the street because they'll get run over, that they would accept that discipline from a place of love. And I pray for another group of people in here who maybe maybe they have yet to give their lives to you. Maybe they're struggling with this whole idea and it's because they have yet to really submit their lives to you and say, you're in charge. You're the leader of my life. And so this idea is so foreign to them, they can't even get close to it because they're not yours. They, they, they haven't submitted to you and made you the leader and Lord of their life. I pray in this moment that today would be the day that their hearts are overcome and transformed by the power of your Holy Spirit and that you would be the leader and Lord of their life from this day forward. It's in your holy and precious name that we pray. Everybody said amen. Why don't you stand with me? Here's my prayer for us today. May we gladly accept God's correction no matter how difficult it is. May we run to Jesus alone for satisfaction. And may we do everything we can to bring our family along with us. God bless you. Thank you so much for coming today. We've got prayer workers at the side that would love to pray for you and with you. If you have any prayer needs, please go get some prayer from them. Make sure you talk this over in your life group. Maybe this week is the first week where you make time for life group. If you're not in a life group, you have yet to really get plugged in at Great Oaks, that's okay. We'll get you plugged in. Just stop at Connection Central. Fill something out. We'll contact you this week and let you know what life groups fit your your life. And then as always, my challenge to you is to not leave here dismissed, but to leave here sent. Be a Jesus follower who makes and disciples other Jesus followers. We'll see you next week for the last week in our Family Matters series. Bring somebody with you.